Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. Today we have with us Melissa Miller. Melissa is from Cincinnati, Ohio, and has lived in Florida for eight years. She lost her parents at a young age, her dad when she was seven and her mom to cancer when she was 21. As a result of this, she grew up with very present generalized anxiety and panic disorders, things that she is still working with today. When she's not at work at a job she loves, which is in clinical research, She really enjoys spending time with herself and family, mostly outside paddling, swimming in the ocean, or just enjoying a meal and spending time together. Her true passion is simple. She wants to be happy and make others happy. She really thinks that that's what life is all about, simply enjoying experiences and people. And Melissa, I have known you for a long time now, and I know you as Mel, And I met you when you were interviewing for a job and you came into my studio. And when we were interviewing together, one of the things that stood out to me was your mission in life. And so do you remember what you told me? Yeah, I think I told you along similar lines. I just wanted to make other people happy. And my dream is just like opening a popsicle or ice cream stand and just in and out smiles, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it was so great. Your your mission, as I read your bio, and you know, I didn't know what I was going to be reading until you sent it to us, just reminded me of that popsicle story. You told me that, you know, you knew this person. I think his name was Professor Pops, and he sold popsicles out of a freezer in downtown Dunedin, and that he handed out smiles all day long and he made people happy. And so if you could have a job like that, that would be like your true passion and you'd be living the best life ever. Yeah, it's simple. Just making people happy, not stressing yourself out. <laughs> life is short. Like if we can cut out as much crap as we can, I think that's the goal. <laughs> that's right. I love that. I just want to finish this thought, Kara, while we're on this subject, because as we were interviewing, Um, After I learned that you just wanted to make everyone happy and that was your mission in life, I then soon after learned that you lost both of your parents at a really young age. And I thought that that was incredible that here was someone who went through so much adversity and so much hardship at such a young age. And here she is sitting in front of me. I think you were, what, 21 at the time? Yeah, I was going to say after when we interviewed, it only been like a year and a half or so since my mom had passed. And I was just, I, I think we both cried in the interview. <laughs> exactly <laughs> my point. <laughs> exactly my point. I, we were both bawling in that interview. We're both crying and talking about life and like not your typical job interview, but it was a, a good start to a good relationship. So, Yeah, I'm blessed to know you 
So I'm going to keep referring to you as Mel. And Kara, I know that this is, you know, your your first time meeting Mel. Yeah. So and, and two two things stuck out with the bio that Patty just read. And you love enjoying people and experiences. And it is so simple. And I think that we just in life will overcomplicate things. And I love how simple that is. Just enjoy your experiences and enjoy the people you're with. The other thing, one of your favorite pastimes, spending time with yourself. I don't think a lot of people can do that comfortably. No. And I am applaud you for that. I love that. Yay. Applaud. Yes. That is time so and cool. time again. I have great relationships with the people around me, but I am my favorite person to be around. I love that. <laughs> I love that too. More people should be able to look in the mirror and say that. Say, I love spending time with you. Yeah, you are fun. You are funny. I like being around you, which is good because I'm stuck with you all the time. So (laughs) that is so true. Yeah. So let me read you the quote that we read all of our guests and then we can get along with our story or your story. Sorry. One day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. And we previously had not known who to attribute that to because we found, I found it on Facebook and it didn't have anybody to attribute it to. We've since found out that it is a Brene Brown quote. (laughs) One of, one of our favorite people. (laughs) Very fitting. (laughs) Yes. We love that. That's why we do what we do. So we'd love to hear more about your story. I don't know where you want to start. You want to go to the beginning when you were a kid and tell us about your dad. So when I was a kid, my parents got together. They were both in college. My mom was 19 and they got pregnant with me. So again, off to kind of a tricky start, I guess. (laughs) Young parents and they weren't married immediately. And um, so, but from, from what I remember, so they were married, had my sister, myself, my sister got divorced. And then my mom moved back up to Ohio with me. So we didn't have like a really strong relationship with my dad or my dad's side of the family. I mean, we'd go down because he lived in South Carolina. So we would go down there a couple times a year and spend a couple of weeks down there with them. But the primary, my primary caretaker and parent was my mom and my grandparents at the time. Did your parents ever get married? They did. Yeah, they did. Oh, they did. They got married and then they got, okay, so then they got divorced. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't a long, long thing. But yes, they did get married and they got divorced. And then she went back up to Ohio where her family, my family's from. Okay. And then stayed with my grandparents. So again, really strong connections there with my family. And then when I was seven, I was in second grade. I remember like my mom called us into her bedroom and she was really upset. And we were like, okay, what's going on? Like I'm seven years old. I don't know what's going on. And she told us that my dad died. And at the time, like, again, we didn't have a super strong relationship. So it was, I knew it was my dad, but like, it was this guy we saw a couple times a year. And that was it. It wasn't like it was 2020 either, where you could like FaceTime all the time or like call all the time. Like it was just the relationship you had was when you spent time together. And so at the time, I don't remember, like I was upset mostly because my mom was upset, right? Like she was upset and crying. And so like, that's why I was upset. So I'm sure psychologically that plays a, a role in like anxiety and all the stuff that's happened like growing up. But like at the time, I just don't remember being like that, being a sole source of sadness or anything. So we grew up after that. It was just we didn't go down to South Carolina and see my dad's side of the family anymore because we weren't, again, that close to begin with. 
So after that, it was like my sister, my mom and I, that was it. That was our family. And of course, extended family, my grandparents. And we have like the Irish Catholic family. So there's like 8,000 people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're all, they're all really close. Like we have like 80 family members that I talk to like constantly, like they're, they're really close. But as far as like the household, it was me, my mom, and my sister day to day. And my grandparents were there a lot too. When I got into high school, about sophomore year is when my mom got diagnosed with cancer. And um, we went over, it was a really, really strange time. Cause like, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what to expect. Like my mom was like, Hey, they found this thing. We're going to get it checked out. Kind of how every cancer story starts, right? Oh, they found a lump. We're going to get a biopsy. You know, they don't think it's anything. And in high school, I have no life experience. I'm like, Oh, it's going to be fine. Everything up to this point has been fine. Like it's going to be fine. And Mel, up to this point, like, it sounded like you really, you know, you didn't know your dad. It sounds like it didn't really affect you or your sister or your mom or really your family unit much other than maybe, you know, moving. But even that wasn't because your dad had passed. I mean, right. you moved yeah. well before. So it seems like that was kind of almost like a non-issue in your life. Is that is that true? Is that how you felt? I think so. But again, I also grew up with a lot of anxiety. And prior to my dad passing too, I'd always had this like really heavy anxiety, like constant all the time. And I didn't know what it was then. I didn't have a name for it then. I just knew that like, I was just worried all the time at like five years old. I would be like, I remember being so nervous. I was like crying before going to school every day and didn't want to go to school. So I don't know that my dad passing played like a huge role in my life but I mean psychologically from what we know like it had to have I right. just maybe internalized it and didn't it wasn't in the forefront of my brain but that doesn't mean it didn't affect me other ways right and I and I know that you've been through a lot of you know self-improvement over the years and you've had a lot of coaches and mentors in your life helping you sure. through some of these things so looking back on that would you say that your anxiety like you know, your dad and mom separated at a young age. Sometimes we don't really remember, have a memory of that, but maybe we have the feelings of it that they're all of a sudden our life is disrupted. And so, like you said, we know that those things happen. Do you think that's when your anxiety and panic disorders kind of started? I think it could have been. I also know that my parents, like, I, I don't remember these things because I was younger than three years old by the time we moved up. I think I was two and a half or three years old, not even that old. But from what I know, from what I've been told, they didn't have a good relationship. There was fights, there was, uh, and they were young. Like, it's not, I think those things are not, like, it just wasn't a good relationship. So that could have been it too. If there's like fighting or chaos in the household at that young, like, I don't remember it, but that doesn't mean it didn't produce this anxiety or like as a cause of it. So that could, that very well could have been it. I've thought about that a lot too. Yeah. Like everyone's affected by that and it's nobody's fault, right? You're just, no. people are just in, in a, they're trying to do the best they can to, to work things out. And Absolutely. That's one thing that I think about a lot too, is like, I mean, my mom was like my idol, like she's everything. So like you go through this thing of like, well, it's not her fault. Well, no, it's not her fault, but that doesn't mean these things didn't happen. And she was young. Like it's, it's okay. Not everyone's not perfect. Even your idols are not perfect. Yeah. Like, but that doesn't mean that it's not it's not a blame game. It's just this is what happened, and that's that's okay. It's okay for people not to be perfect, even your favorite people. <laughs> and Mel, how did you ever find? Did your mother tell you how your father died? At the time, no. 
and I didn't ask questions. Like I said, my mom was kind of like my person. So I just trusted that like if she wanted me to know she would she'd let me know or she'd tell me. I didn't ask. I didn't even think about asking. I was just like, well, I mean, she'll let me know. So at the time, no, she didn't tell us when we were younger. And um, like I said, I know my dad had like alcohol, like abuse issues. And that was part of the reason that she left is she's like, I'm not, I can't be in this with two kids. It's not healthy. So I always just assumed it was like a drunk driving incident like that to me and my younger brain, not just that just clicked. That just made sense. And I just rolled with that for years. I was like, well, that's probably what it was. That's fine. So when anybody asks, because people ask you when you're young, how how'd your dad die? I'm like, I didn't feel like going into the whole, well, I didn't really know him, like like all that stuff. So I was like, oh, drunk driving accident. So done. Conversation was over right then. But when I was 18, we were actually down in Florida on a family vacation. And all of a sudden my mom, like we were driving and it was just the three of us, my sister, my mom and I, and she like, we pulled into where we were going and my sister asked, but she's always been nosy. So I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Are you the older sister, Mel? Yes, I'm the older sister. And I'm definitely more of like the typical oldest, like uh, whatever my mom wants. That's what goes. I'm okay with that. And she was like, they, she was the younger sister for sure. She'd (laughs) say what she wanted, didn't hold punches. Like, so I'm surprised it took her that long to ask, to be honest with you. I'm surprised she didn't ask the day of. That would have been more fitting. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like now this is years later. If you were 18, I mean, that's like 11 years later. Yeah. Yeah. That both of us were just come, we're just like, all right, maybe it's because we didn't have a super strong relationship or because we both were just like, well, mom was upset. Like, we, I mean, she was like visibly upset the day that she told us. And again, they didn't really have much communication. I think it's just like having to tell your kids that their dad died. Like, that's not a fun situation. I don't, I can't imagine. So yeah, so we were down in Florida. My sister, somehow the conversation got brought up and my mom told us that like my dad got shot, which was like, both of us were like, what? Wow. <laughs> that's not something that we thought. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up in a wow super Catholic conservative in like a not like just conservative, like people got married and did, you know, what they were supposed to do type of thing. There was a, a checklist to life and now it didn't fall in the checklist. Your dad getting shot did not fall in that checklist. So we just didn't expect that. Wow. Yeah. So I, I was just, yeah, we were kind of shocked by that. And then I, again, I haven't like taken a deep dive into that. But it's it's something that I've been curious about, mostly from a standpoint of like family history. But I know the situation, as far as I know, was like he was found in, you know, this woman's house and she was married and the guy came, her husband came home and like was just like, oh, that's it. So he shot him. And wow. That was it. Yeah. But that, again, this is the South, South Carolina, I guess. Those, I don't know. It's probably common anywhere. Oh, my goodness. No. Wow. Yeah. So Mel, I kind of took you off. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. And that, that must've been really hard 11 years later to learn. Yeah, That's traumatizing. I would think to hear that. It was just shocking. And I think the part I was like, had the hardest time with was now I have to tell people this. If they ask me, Mm. like, I didn't want to lie to everybody or all the people that I've told me, my best friend that I grew up with since I'm six years old, I've been telling her because I didn't know been telling her that yeah my dad died in a drunk driving accident or like all these people that I grew up with like what do I go back and tell them that's not something I wanted to bring up and like rehash that was already laid to rest a long time ago so 
but and then like I think for me and since I've gotten over that but for me like if there's a stigma I guess or like it reflects on you maybe somewhere or I thought it mm. did. if I told my if I told people like yeah my dad was shot like there's like some idea behind that of like oh like like it was your fault you had something right. to do with it like you had you had to feel shame about it exactly like I was feeling shame about something that I had nothing to do with but still like sharing that they're like like people are like there's a reaction that people have when you have like your dad's got your dad got shot they're like oh man like he must have been bad some yeah like a bad dude yeah, <laughs> like, he must have been a bad dude <laughs> or law enforcement right or in the military or yeah like some some but some reason right like right yeah like people typically don't oh well I shouldn't say that people get shot all the time but anyway it, yeah I just was like I didn't want that guilt of like they're like, oh, what happened to him? Like, oh, he must have been a bad dude or something. Like, I just didn't want that to reflect on me, yeah. even though it had absolutely nothing to do with me. Right. So for a long time, even after I knew, I didn't tell anybody because I was just like, well, I don't want to get into all that. Yeah, because you don't even, I'm, you're sure people are going to want to ask questions you don't even have the answers to. Like, this is all I know. And yeah. yes, I wasn't even there. <laughs> like, it wasn't really in his life. Yeah, exactly. So, and Yeah. Like I said, it just had nothing really to do with me. So I just kind of was like, well, it was information that I had then, but I didn't really know what to do with. Like, okay, now I know, but I don't know what to do with all that. In that moment, did that, I know you, you struggle with anxiety. You've told us that. Did that spark anything? Like, like, did the anxiety come up for you when that, when your mother told you this? That's a really good question. And honestly, no. Okay. Like I have, which it probably should have, like I have anxiety about a lot of things, a lot of silly things. Retrospectively, no, it really didn't. And I think because it was such a, maybe a more casual conversation, it wasn't like my mom had sat us down and was like, hey, you know, I want to talk to you guys about this. Like it was literally, we pulled into, it was my great grandparents condo. And like the conversation was leading to that point. And my mom just kind of, we were just sitting in the car in Florida on vacation and just the conversation just kind of happened. I don't think it was a planned thing. I'm sure she was going to tell us eventually, but I don't think like she was like, all right, this is the time we're sitting down at the table and like having this conversation. It was more of like a, this is what happened. And she was, I think at that point too, 11 years later, we'd all had a lot of time to process the and being gone. And my mom had obviously known all that time. So the biggest decision, I remember her, like when my dad had passed, like do we take the kids or my my sister and I to his funeral or what's going on? And we ended up not going. Um, but I think retrospectively, knowing what happened now that he was shot and not some type of accident or illness or something like that, she didn't want to expose us to all of that then. Right. Yeah. Did you ever have feelings about that, Melissa, like going or not going to your mm. dad's funeral or wake as you grew up? No. And again, only because like I'm... I grew up very Catholic, so, uh, but I'm not very Catholic now. <laughs> so I don't hold like, and this is just personally, I mean, other people might have had different reactions. My sister probably had a different reaction because she's actually pretty religious. So she might have feelings about that that are different than I do. But I don't, for me, it's, there's not a lot of significance in like death ritual rituals, I guess, like a funeral and stuff like that. Like to me, it's a way for people to process things. And I'd already processed that. I'd already, and at seven years old, how much are you really processing like death? That's a, that's one of my first introductions to it. So I really didn't understand what was going on at the time. 
enough to know whether or not I was upset about not going or, and then now I still, I'm like, well, it was probably the right decision. <laughs> like, how do you exposing seven-year-olds to that type of traumatic death might've been more traumatic than not going, if that makes sense. Yeah. Somebody there was talking about what happened and you heard it. Yeah. Whatever. Right. I get it. And then now I have to deal with that too at seven years old, which is just too young to understand, I think. When again, everyone's different. So someone else might have a different answer, but yeah. So I, I pre- thank you for the, all of that. That was a lot of vulnerability. And I kind of took you from, you were, you were in high school, you were sharing with us when you were in high school and you had just learned that your mom had cancer or she had a lump and it was, you know, you were feeling like, you know, everything's going to be fine. Everything's always fine. This is just a lump. And, and, you know, yeah, I'm si- I'm 16 years old, nothing, you know, outside of my dad passing. But again, at that time, I didn't put much weight on that. Like, everything else had always been fine. Right. And my mom was young. Like I said, she had me when she was 19. So when they found this, she was 36 years old. That's not, and again, I, I guess I didn't think about it then, but now I'm like, 36 is not old. Like, no, it is when she's your mother and you're a teenager, everything's old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When I'm 16 and she's 36, I'm like, that's uh, your mom age. I don't care how old you are. Your mom age. Mom age. <laughs> That's great. Oh, so you're getting back to how did she tell you? So she told us when she came home from the appointment, like she, I mean, she told us kind of everything as it was happening. She told us, Hey, they found this thing. They're going to do a biopsy. They're going to do this test and this test, and then we'll see what's going on. But everything that they'd said, it was all very like, probably nothing. We just want to be sure. And then when she actually told us, so they had to go in and do a lumpectomy, which is a surgical procedure. So she went to the hospital. My sister and I stayed with my grandparents at the time. And I remember we were sitting out back, like just kind of waiting to hear how she was doing when waiting to hear what they found because my mom was at the hospital. And she, I should mention too, she'd remarried at this point. So she, her then husband was with her. They ended up getting divorced too. So we were, my sister and I were at my grandparents' house sitting out back on their porch and just my grandma got the phone call from my mom that was like, you know, they found it, it is cancerous. And so I remember at that point just being like heartbroken because this thing that you thought wasn't going to be an issue is now a big issue. Because the C word, the cancer word scares the crap out of you. Oh, yeah. That Right? When you're a kid, cancer means death, right? Like mm-hmm. right away. It just, even if there's hope. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's the stories that you hear. You hear the survival stories, but again, they're even the survival stories are never easy. Like it's never an easy road. Anyone going through chemo and cancer and all that stuff, it's it's hard. Even the easier cases, it's still really hard. So even at a baseline, even like best case scenario, she survives and everything's fine. Like she's that still meant she had to go through chemo and radiation and all this stuff. And like, you don't want to see your parent, anybody go through that, much less um, your mom, you're like one sole provider and like the person, like I was way attached. Yeah. And at 16 though, Mel, do you think you even thought about chemo or radiation or treatment? Or did you just think like, I, I, I think that I have, you know, I had a loved one have cancer and I just thought death, like I didn't think of treatment. Uh, I didn't think there of hope. I just heard that. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like, 
did you, or did you have the wherewithal at 16 years old to think of all those other things? I think I, like at 16, I remember thinking those things, but I've also like, it's, it's 16. Like I had also been exposed to that a little bit more and not necessarily like in a, that type of personal way, but like we did relay for life, which are like cancer events. And like, we'd done things like that. So in, in, in those events, a lot of times they'll have survivors or people who are currently going through treatment come up and speak. And so we'd done a couple of things like that. So I had exposure in that way. So I kind of knew there were different ways this could go. And that at least at us at the starting point, the baseline, it's going to be chemo and radiation. So that was kind of where my head went first. I, I don't even think at 16 years old, like death wasn't the first thing I thought of. It was the treatment that I thought of first. That's interesting. Thanks for, for sharing that. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're at my grandparents' house and then my mom came home and I remember just sitting in the living room with her at our house, back at our house, just the three of us. And everyone's just kind of sitting there like, what do we do? What's going to go? What, how do where, where do we go from here? And my mom, again, recovering, she just had surgery that day and just found out she had cancer that day. Like she's just recovering, but still she was very positive. Like she was positive throughout the whole thing, which was just her MO. That was her way of getting through things was like, she'd been through some stuff too. Mm -hmm. That was just the way she functioned was, all right, there are good outcomes. And I believe I'm going to be one of those good outcomes. That's great. So, yeah, so that was, I don't think any of us thought it was going to go the way it ended up going. I mean, she, we thought immediately like chemo, radiation, we'll see where it goes from there, what we need to do from there. But it was never like in any of our minds, like a death sentence. So that's good. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, if you, if you have to go through it, you want to stay positive. I mean, there's for spiritual purposes, but also there's like research that like, if you have a more positive attitude about things, like you might have a better chance at a better outcome. I forgot to mention this too. The day we went over to my grandma's house to like tell her that my mom had cancer officially was the day like we sat down in her living room and my mom was like I have to tell you guys you know I have to tell you something because my grandparents are both there and uh, my grandma was like okay well I gotta tell you something too and um, we're sitting there and they like exchange cancer stories which none of us expected so the same day that we were telling wow yeah that we were telling my grandparents that my mom had cancer my grandma was also like oh by the way I have colon cancer holy cow I remember, yeah, I remember like Patty's seen this because she knows me. I tend to withdraw when things get real like that. So I remember just sitting on the couch at my grandparents' house, just completely shut down. Wow. That was way too much for me to take in at the time. So I was just shut down. I was like, I I wasn't talking. I was like, I don't know what to do here. So just kind of in my own little world, not trying to process any of this at this moment. That's too much. So that was before the biopsy or after the biopsy? That was before. Okay. So while you're with your grandparents waiting for this biopsy result, your grandmother is also going through some treatments, I would imagine, for colon cancer. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, it hadn't started yet because she just found out about hers. So they both kind of started simultaneously. My grandma, actually, it was a little bit different route. She had surgery because for colon cancer, it's a little bit different. Um, They can remove things. And then so she just had surgery and radiation, which has been a long road. She still is dealing with some of the effects of that today. So she's still alive and she's still okay. Yeah, both of my grandparents are still alive and doing pretty well. So they're they're in their 70s, 75 now, 75 ish. 
That's awesome. By the way, for the record, 75 is not old. Yeah. Also not old. Yeah, that's right. No, not old. Also not old. <laughs> what's, just, what's that saying? Old is 15 years older than I am? <laughs> no, it's 40 years older than I am. 40 years older than me. <laughs> yeah. So your grandma had surgery and radiation and she's doing, she's doing okay, but still. Yeah. She still has some effects from that, but she's, I mean, there's no radiation. She doesn't have to do any treatments and this is post 15 years now or so and nothing. I mean, she gets the regular diagnostic testing and she's doing fine. Nothing's resurfaced. She's doing okay as far as that goes. So I should back up a little bit too. Like, so she had the biopsy initially. And that's when we went over and told my grandparents. And that's when we found out about my grandma. And then following that, they do the lumpectomy where they find out they get a little bit better picture. They try to remove as much as they can. And they take out some of the lymph nodes to see if it spreads to the lymph nodes, which was the biggest thing that we were worried about too, because if it spreads, then that's not a good sign. So when we were at my grandparents' house that day, my mom was in the hospital. My sister and I were there with my grandparents. That's when we found out that like how much they took, what sizes the tumors were, and that it had, in fact, spread to our lymph nodes. Okay. So that was all the information at those separate times. It's a lot. Yeah. So this is when you were 16. Yes. And she died when you were 21. Yes. Was she ever in remission in that five-year period? Yes, she was um, for about a year and a half or two years. So the initial course was she did, and I forget how many treatments, but she was doing chemotherapy and then radiation. So she did chemo for, I want to say six to nine months. I forget, forget exactly, but, and, and we were, like I said, my mom was like my person. So I would go with her all the time. It was after school for the most part. And she was working throughout all this. Like she never missed a day of work. Wow. Holy crap. She, yeah. She's, she's tough. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was rough chemo too. It wasn't like, I mean, I, they're all rough, but like it was rough. She had some rough days and I think she would just go to work. Fortunately, she worked for a company that was really understanding as well. Like they had like this um, nap room kind of for like mothers that were like just had babies and were pumping and stuff. And so, but they would let her, they gave her a key and they were like, listen, if you need to take a rest. So she went and did that stuff a couple of times, but she never missed a day of work. She was always there. She never missed like my soccer games or anything like that. She was just chugging along as life is normal. And then a couple of days a week, she would go to chemotherapy and usually after school, like I would try to go with her as much as I could too, just because you sit there for a couple hours. I don't know if anybody's been through that experience, but like you sit there, you're in a chair in this long room of chairs of all of these people getting chemotherapy treatments. So it's a little bit depressing, especially if you're there by yourself. So that's also, I think, where I honed my comedic skills. Like I was like trying to break tension with comedy and always done that. So I would just try to be there and try to be funny and just have, try to take her mind off it as much as I could. And they had really good, the, there was a deli downstairs that had really good <laughs> chicken sandwiches. So we would, <laughs> we would get ourselves a chicken sandwich treat and, and have a couple laughs and hang out and talk with people at the chemo center and <laughs> just make an afternoon of it. So yeah. And then um, following that, when she'd had her last chemo treatment, then she started radiation and that was a little bit less time. I think that was only three months or so. And that was a quick, like, I don't remember going with her to any of those visits. Like that was quick. You go in, I think maybe 20, 30 minutes, they do the radiation and then you're out of there. But she did have like effects from both of those. Like she did lose her hair from the chemo and everything. I remember I shaved her head. 
because it started to fall out and that was like one of her worst years I remember my mom wasn't a super vain person but like she had beautiful hair (laughs) and like having nice I mean having losing your hair I think is a big thing especially because like she was worried about like she didn't want to be the person with cancer right she didn't want those pity looks she didn't want those oh you know just all that stuff that goes with that having cancer she didn't want that so when it started to fall out when we started seeing it she'd wake up and there'd be like you know bunches of hair on her pillow or she'd brush her hair or shower and like it's just coming out in clumps so she's like you know what let's shave it we're doing this so I shaved her head we did a mohawk first because <laughs> <laughs> that's cute do you have pictures of that Mel? yes <laughs> oh that's so great oh absolutely absolutely and I'm not like that was my first time cutting anyone's hair so it didn't look great but <laughs> fortunately it was all coming off so it didn't have to look good again it was she she was really positive about the whole thing and like so I I didn't have at 16, 17, 18, you know, through those times, like a whole lot of worry about it. I was like, my mom's strong. She's still going to work. Like she didn't have all these horror stories that you hear. These things weren't happening to her that I knew of. I'm not she could have been hiding some of that too, but she was pretty open about it. So um, we got through chemo and radiation. And then right before I went to college, which was a worry for me, like leaving my mom. And that's a worry without a sick parent. And then like with a sick parent, it was just that worry was kind of doubled. But right before I went to college, she went into remission. I think she didn't have, or she might've been doing radiation at the time, but they were doing the scans. A lot of times cancer treatments, they'll do scans and make sure that the tumors are gone or at least shrinking and not growing. Um, And everything looked fine. So she was in remission for about a year or two. um, And then she was doing one of her scans again, and they found spots on her liver, not her breast this time. So it had metastasized to her liver now, which I didn't know at the time was as serious as it was. And that was, I think, October of 2013. And in this time, like just a little backstory, in this time, my mom had divorced the husband she was with, which was a good thing. He wasn't, I love my mom. She did a lot of things well, but she didn't have a good picker, as we call it. She <laughs> people that didn't serve her the best or weren't the best partners. So that was actually a really positive thing for her was getting out of this relationship that wasn't serving her. So it was like, like in the beginning of 2013, she got divorced and my sister was doing well. Like she was out of high school and I was doing well. I was in school and everything was looking good. She bought a new house and a new car and we got the dog and like everything was just like, okay, things are going really well. So then in October, when we found out it had metastasized to her liver, again, I didn't know it was as serious as it was, but um, I guess that was, that's a pretty big deal when those things move. So yeah, I, I started, I wasn't doing as well in school, I think, and I didn't associate it with anything at the time. I was just like kind of slacking off and missing classes and like retrospectively, I can put those two together. But at the time I was like, just not interested in it. I didn't think like, oh, it's because my mom's sick. I just was not interested in it. I would just, I just wanted to spend my time doing other things, I guess, or not. I don't know. I just lost interest in some of those things. So in January of 2014, I or December of 2013, I came home from school because I was like, you know what? I'm just not doing well. I want to be home. I want to be with my family. Um, Because my mom at that time had started going through treatments again. And they were a little bit worse this time, like she was getting sick because the first time she wasn't, there was not a lot of vomiting, maybe some nausea and super tired. 
she and she had it down to a science though like she knew the day she was going to be tired so she would schedule her treatments for like Thursday because she knew Saturday and Sunday she would be tired again and then she'd be fine for work so but this time was like it just a lot of unexpected things like she was throwing up and couldn't eat and all these like things that you hear she was losing weight and it lost her hair again so when I and then when I came home in February and we didn't know this at the time in February she'd gone to an appointment with her oncologist and my grandma was there and um, they told her at that time she had about like I think three or four months to live like they gave her a terminal like diagnosis and we didn't know that at the time wow we only found that out after she passed when my grandma told us and that's when things started getting a lot worse like she was sick all the time couldn't eat like couldn't hardly move Um, and it was liver cancer too so I don't know if anyone's had family with liver issues but like you get really jaundiced and your stomach starts to get distended and like so I'm noticing all these things happening and getting really worried and I'm thinking it's like the chemo I'm thinking the chemo so it's making it so bad so I'm like you know trying to problem solve and I want to call her oncologist and say listen this chemo is not do it's making her really sick like we need to change up her course of treatment and then when in reality it was just that she was really sick it wasn't the chemo the chemo was just like a life extending or trying to extend that like Mel I, I have a question for you about when your grandma told you after your mom passed that she knew that your mom had a terminal prognosis you know like when someone says you got this much time left how did you feel do you feel like you wanted to know that were you glad you were you glad you didn't know that did did you have any feeling about it or thought about it at the time you were told at the time I was told, I thought, man, like she, I, I almost wish she would have told us, but that thought was short lived. And I remember thinking like, if she had told us the last couple months that we had with her would have been totally different. Right. And I think because she knew I had anxiety that she was the person who'd like kind of helped me on that journey initially of like, so I, I think that probably played like, I feel a little bit of guilt and I know I shouldn't, it's not my guilt, but um <laughs> you're shaking your head now <laughs> yeah, yeah there's nothing um... to be guilty about yeah <laughs> no no you're not a bad person you didn't do anything wrong no but I think like maybe she would have had a different reaction or maybe maybe she wanted to tell us but just didn't want us to go through that or maybe she really didn't like I, I can't I'll never know that but I'm almost glad that she I'm, I am glad that she didn't tell us because I think that the last couple months would have been like a lot of tears and anxiety and like they just would have been so different as opposed to going through life as normal, hanging out and watching TV, like just kind of thinking that things would get better. And instead of like thinking, this is it, is this it? This could be it. I don't, you know, just fear. I think those, those years would have been filled with fear and I didn't, I don't want that. Yeah. I didn't want that. Yeah. So I guess following like February, I was home at that point. My sister was home. My grandparents were there. It was the three of us back in the house. Like that was our happy place when the three of us were in the house together. Like that was our unit. <laughs> so Great. Oh, that's so great. And we had the dog, Alex, at that time Alex. Too. So it was just kind of like the four, <laughs> four happy, like it was a happy little family, except my mom was sick. And I remember like she started again she was really tired all the time getting sick all the time getting really weak which was like not her and at this time she was 40 years old and I'm 
not 40 yet, but I don't think 40 is old. <laughs> I think 40 is really young to have to go through those things. So I, I remember taking, I was trying to take on more responsibility because again, I'm, I'm to a fault, probably like a problem solver. So I, I was trying to take on more of that, like, and, and I was probably trying to mimic some of the things she did. I was making dinners at night and like trying to get her to eat and she wasn't eating breakfast. So maybe we'll go get these breakfast shakes and like just trying to get some type of like, just trying to solve as many problems as I could to see if it would get better. And I thought it would. Um, so I just, you know, needed to do these things and it would be better. Is your problem solving a part of you that tries to fend off the anxiety? Probably. Like if I can fix this, then I won't get, you know, as anxious and I, there's still anxiety. Like when I'm doing that, I think though, it's like a, an outlet. Like I, at least, okay, I'm anxious, but I can do something about it. Like A protector probably. Right. Like, yeah, the anxiety is still there, but at least I can try to do something with it instead of just sitting there and wallowing in the fact that I'm anxious all the time. I can try to be productive with it. <laughs> you have a saying around that, that I've heard you say. If you don't choose, well, how does it go? If you don't, yeah, if, if you don't like, and this is something that I've learned through therapy, but like, if you don't choose an outlet for your anxiety, your body will choose one for you. And it's your body doesn't always choose the most helpful, productive outlet. Like mine seems to come in panic attacks and like some depressive episodes. And like, so if I, and that could have been me knowing a little bit about that was like, if I don't choose an outlet for my anxiety, if I don't, and this is after years of therapy, knowing, knowing this now, like exercise is an outlet for anxiety, going outside, doing things, hobbies, like those are all outlets for your stress and anxiety that you can choose as opposed to your body being like, nope, today's the day we're going to have panic attacks all day. <laughs> That's, <laughs> those are the things my body tends to choose. Right. What a choice. Yeah. Well, you, so you've had panic attacks before. Oh yeah. I remember having panic attacks as young as, and I didn't know, I didn't know it then. I didn't know the term for it then. I just knew this was a thing that happened, but I remember having panic attacks and I can identify them as young as like five years old. Wow. Which I think is, yeah, not most five-year-olds having panic attacks. I think you said earlier in kindergarten was like when you first identified that you had pain. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Kindergarten. I was, it was, yeah. Preschool, kindergarten. I remember like my mom worked all the time. I will tell this little story. My mom worked um, single parent. She worked until five o'clock or whatever, typical nine to five job. Um, but she worked downtown and we lived in a suburb. So we went to like after school care and, um, there was, you know, she would usually pick us up by six o'clock, five thirty, six o'clock, but, and not knowing how traffic works at five years old, yeah. uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Like that wasn't a thought of mine was she's stuck in traffic. Um, I remember at five years old thinking like, oh my God, what if something happened to my mom on her way home to get us? Like, I remember crying on the playground if it was past, and I would just get like this pit in my stomach of like, like I would just get increasingly more worried and like every moment that passed was just getting worse and worse and worse until I saw her car rolling and then I would be relieved. Wow. But like at five years old, I don't think that's a very normal and we've all decided that normal is not, everyone's normal is different. There's no standard normal, but like I think as far as five-year-olds having like panic and worry, 
that's not necessarily a common normal thing. Common is not normal. Normal is not common. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You were in your happy place. You and your sister and your mom were at home that February. Oh, and Alex with the dog. Yeah, and Alex the dog. <laughs> yeah, so we like gone through all that. And then like the events leading up to that, my mom, I was I was trying to cook more and make her eat and, you know, make sure like I was trying to clean and like just make sure that things were in order. And I was trying to just take as much off as, of her as I could so she could focus on like getting rest when she needed to get rest and not feeling bad about that or not trying to push herself to do things that were she was already kind of weak and, you know, getting sick and all this stuff and like just not just trying to take as much off of her as I could. And I was 20 years old, so I didn't know how to like feed a family and like all this stuff. I grew up not having to do those things. My mom was our provider and somehow worked eight hours a day and got home and made us dinner and like like she was she did everything. So now I'm trying to learn how to do those things and trying to take some of that off of her. And um, I remember one day, this was when I knew it was kind of getting bad and I was starting to get worried. But again, not that it was like she was dying. That thought never hit me until we like got to the hospital the day of, but I'll get there. Um, I remember one day I hear her like call my name. She's in her bedroom and like I'm out in the kitchen doing something. I remember her saying, Melissa, like Mel, whatever. And I go in there and she's like really upset and she's crying and she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she'd like thrown up on her bed. Like she couldn't, Aww. and she couldn't get up. Like I had to like, try to change her sheets for her. And like, she felt so bad and she's Aww. like crying. Cause she like, doesn't want to put her kids through this, you know, Yeah. but who else does she have to help? Like we're her support system. Yeah. So <clears throat> that was, that was hard. That's so hard for both of you. It's hard for her to see her child have to do that. It's the opposite role. And it's hard for you to see your mom being so sick that she's not in her normal role. And yeah. And then like, I just didn't want her to feel bad about that. I'm like, listen, I, I've got that. I can do that. I don't get that doesn't bother me. I don't get she was like, like my kids shouldn't have to clean up my throat because I can't get up to go to the bathroom like but I was like, I don't, that's, that part didn't bother me. I just didn't want her to be worried or stressed out about. Yeah. You were both so worried about each other. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is like, well, we're all, we're all wiping the tears yeah. away here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, your mom, your mom sounds like an awesome woman. I mean, she was just your, she was just your mother and your father. And it yeah. sounds like you had a lot of fun together and. Yeah, it's such a, what a great role model she was too. Yeah, and that's like, that's what I, I think, like, I think back and I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know how she did that at 19 years old, like coming home with two kids, or 21, I think she was, coming home with two kids and just figuring it out. And like, there was no question of like, you know, I, I what am I going to do? It was like, she went right back to school. We lived with my grandparents until she finished school. And at like, 23 years old she bought her first three-bedroom house and like I'm like I don't know how you did all that stuff I don't know and I'm sure like talking to my grandparents like there were you know she made sacrifices like she didn't always get the new clothes she wanted but we always had the bikes and we wanted Barbies or whatever we wanted like she was our provider she sacrificed a lot so that we didn't have to sacrifice anything like like I and she ended up I mean she was young. Like I said, when she started her career, she was 23, started in IT, but she got a good job and she just like kept growing in that role. Like, I think 
in 10 years, she was making a six figure salary. And like, we never had to worry about anything. Like I, we weren't super rich, but I also never had, like, I always got to do the soccer stuff I wanted or always got to have new shoes. And like, it was just wasn't a, a thing that I had to think about or that she had to think about maybe. So I don't know. That was, yeah, she was, she did everything that she could and she did really well at everything she did. So it was just, it was hard to see. I bet she didn't feel like it was a sacrifice, her buying you bikes and Barbies and providing for you. Like, I bet just hearing how your mom was, I bet that's that was what brought her joy. And so she would rather not have that new outfit and see you girls be really happy. Sounded like that was your mom's MO, was maybe just like her daughter to spread happiness. I think so, too. I, I definitely think I get a lot of that from her. Like, we didn't. That's one thing that I wish like we'd got to have more conversations like these because at 20 years old, 21, when she passed, like we didn't have these deep. Con- I didn't know how to have these. I didn't. My brain wasn't there yet. So like I do wish that we'd had some of these conversations of like, like do you and I'm sure she would have said no, like that was what I wanted. Like those were the things I wanted to spend my money on was you guys making sure you and talking to my grandma too. like they had those conversations. But that was that was exactly it. Like she didn't feel like she was missing out on anything by giving us stuff, like maybe giving us the things that we wanted or needed or whatever. She wasn't losing out on anything by doing that. Oh, that's so awesome. Not everybody's like that. Like (laughs) I thought that was like normal, but I guess not everybody's like that. So I'm really lucky in that regard. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But so um, back to like 2014 February she gets the terminal diagnosis we don't know but we know things are getting worse and then like like I said I'm cooking trying to do as much as I can after the getting sick incident like things just got a little bit worse from then and now my grandma was a nurse for at this point like 40 something years so she knows and she's also been to the appointments with my mom so she knows exactly what's going on so my grandma I'm calling her like almost every day just kind of like hey, you know, this is happening. What do I do? And she would come up a lot and like, just check in and make sure we were doing okay. And um, I remember the last nights before my mom had passed and I didn't know it then, but like, I just, I slept in her bed with her because I was like, she was just so weak. And like, I didn't want to be far if she needed anything. And I just wanted to be close to her. So I remember her like groaning all night long. Like she was in so much pain. (sighs) It's heartbreaking. I bet that broke your heart now. Yeah. Was, I didn't know. Like I just, I thought it was a fixable thing at the time. So I was like, all right, we'll do this. I'm going to call her doctor in the morning, like just kind of take charge. But that's not the way it goes. Is that when it kind of dawned on you that this was more serious than you thought when you were sleeping with her and you heard her groaning all night? I think so. Yeah, that's that. At that point, I'd called my grandma like something's going on. <laughs> yeah, things are not good. And then, so that was like three nights of that. And then I I was calling my grandma and then I called my grandma the one morning and I was like, like, can you come up here? Like, this is not good. How far was your grandma now? 20, 30 minutes. So so they never lived far. They were close by. Um, But then the, like my grandma came up, we were trying to get my mom to the bathroom. She'd use the bathroom. And like, at this point she was like really jaundiced and She's getting fluid pulled off her abdomen regularly, which I didn't know is like, that's not a fixable thing. That's like an end of life thing. I just didn't know that. 
so my grandma, we got my mom up to the bathroom, the two of us, and like she couldn't like stand up off the toilet seat. Like we had to go in there and help her. So at that point, like that was my what my grandma was like, you gotta call 911. Like we gotta get her to the hospital. And we couldn't get her in the car. Like she couldn't even stand up to get off the toilet, which was and she's 40 years old. Like a 40-year-old she's able to do that. Right. So I remember like we got her to the couch and then I called and I remember standing outside in the driveway just crying on the phone. That's when it hit me. I'm like, all right, this is serious. <clears throat> so EMS comes, they get her loaded on the stretcher and get her out of the house. And like we follow my sister and my grandma and I follow in the car and the hospital's not far, 15 minutes. But again, you never want like we're like following my mom in an ambulance, but like it has its lights on too. So like that's a, that's never they don't it's not a good situation. <laughs> so we get to the hospital and she's in the ER and um we're sitting there and they start to give her morphine, which again, I didn't know any not I was not medical at all then. So like I didn't know that's like they don't give you morphine unless you like have a broken bone and they need to fix it quick type thing and they just need you out of pain real fast. Or it's like an end of life situation. Um, so they're giving her morphine and she's just like out of it from that point. So, and it wasn't, they admitted her to the floor and it wasn't 24 hours before she passed there. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm so sorry, Mel. Me too. Thank you for sharing all that with us. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that's how everything went. And, um, but it was like, I don't want to say it was peaceful because I was scared the whole time, <laughs> but like. There was no like traumatic CPR or like anything like that. Like everybody kind of knew this was it. So my aunt was there. My grandparents were there. My sister and I was, were there and uh, she had her people. Yeah. So that was good. <laughs> oh, surrounded by everybody she loved. Yeah. Yeah. And we all kind of stayed there and just like stayed the night and just were like talking. And like I said, my grandma was a nurse, so she's seen some things like and she worked in some terminal units and stuff like that so she kind of knew and um she was really the one who was at that point like like just kind of keeping my sister and I and like okay you know notice this you know notice that her breathing's slowing and all that kind of stuff kind of helping you with the process yeah absolutely yeah so it is a privilege to be bedside with someone when they transition and yes, oh, yeah, it, to have someone walk you through it. Like, I feel like, it, yeah, there's such a, a sequence and a course and it can be a peaceful thing to, right. To see if someone can explain to you what's happening and calms the process down. Right. Yeah, it does. She was very, and my, and my grandma's like, she's very straightforward, but she's also like, because she's, been through so much with my mom and my sister and I she was like and she was always like we always had such a good relationship with her so she was very much like knew how to talk to us about it and like and it was her daughter right yeah so it's so loving I'm sure so loving yeah and so like to for her to detach herself from the horrible emotion of losing your daughter to be able to help her grandkids Oh, Mel, you got me all. Where are the tissues? I need the holy crap. 
like she's explaining this to you, but she must be so heartbroken because she's talking about her daughter. Right. And to be, I guess, to compartmentalize that or however she was able to, I know you guys are wiping your eyes. I just had my cry (laughs) while you were both talking for her to be able to, yeah, to compartmentalize it so she can talk to you, talk you through this. uh, That's just amazing to me. She's obviously like mother, like daughter. Right. (laughs) And the whole way, right? Mother, daughter, mother, daughter. Yeah. Yeah. She was, yeah, but she was so helpful. Like I'm, I could not be more thankful that we had the people there that we had. Mel, I, I mean, you know, I just feel like your mom would be, is so proud of you and, and where you've come and all the things you've been through and, and just, you know, what a badass you are and how you have found happiness for yourself. I'm sure that as your mom was going through all of this, that you're describing to us, all she wanted to know was that her daughters were going to be happy, you know? Yeah. And, and to that point, like I didn't find out. So the summer before, the summer of 2013, I'd actually stayed in Florida with, again, huge family. So I had an aunt and uncle down here and I'd stayed with them because I was like first year, like second year of college and we'd just vacation to Florida. And I was like, I, I would love to stay here for a summer. So like I got a job, lifeguard and anything or anyway. So I was down here and I didn't find out till after the fact, like my mom, like while she was going through all that was like kind of setting up all this stuff for us like she talked to the aunt and uncle that I'd stayed down here with and was like if she wants to come back would you please be willing to have her oh oh and that's what happened I know I know the other side of that story (laughs) that's exactly what happened (laughs) that's what happened yeah but but like to your point like as like she just wanted to make sure that we were going to be okay yeah Mel if you could go back to that scared little five-year-old girl who is waiting for her mom uh, who is having like this anxiety what would you tell her now as your awesome functioning self <laughs> in life what would you tell her um again this is something that I've learned through therapy like my brain is hardwired to find the worst case scenario all of ours are <laughs> yeah <laughs> all of ours are. so and it's not often that it's the worst case scenario like so if I could go back, I would tell myself, like, listen, sometimes things work out okay. <laughs> and it's okay to think that, like, like you don't, it's okay to be prepared for things, I think. That's just the way, like, every, like you said, all of our brains are hardwired for that. Mine just seems to hyper-focus on the bad things that could happen. So uh, just combat that. And I do this now, like, when I'm thinking of worst case scenario, like, what happens if, what happens if this could happen? I also make myself think about, well, what's the best case scenario in this situation? Like uh, if I could, like using the example of me being five years old and scared something happened to my mom. Okay, what's the best case scenario? Maybe she had a good conversation at work and didn't want to leave. Like maybe she was having a really good day and getting stuff done and like just needed to leave a little bit. Like best case scenario. She stopped and got you popsicles. (laughs) (laughs) That was going to be my first thing is like, Captain got us ice cream, but she never did. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, so just find the best case scenario too when you're thinking about those negative things of like you have to add that in too because it's not always a worst case scenario. In fact, more often than not, it's it's not that. So combat that. Learn to think about the positive things that could happen too, and force yourself to. That's what I do now. 
Well, it sounds from your bio and just from speaking with you that you do that. You do that well, like you appreciate the little things and you are focusing on just being happy and making others happy in your path, in your wake. I try to. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely like something that I have to do consciously. Sometimes I, could, I mean, with everything, like the more you do it, the more you practice it, the easier it comes. But some days it's still like, I guess I'll very much have panic attacks and anxiety about like every single thing. And like, like every day, I think I go through some either panic attack or something like that. So but it's, so sometimes it's something that I have to do consciously, like just, you know, force myself to think about that. But then when I get into those habits, like it comes a lot more naturally, like that may be the first thought. And that's a big win is like when your first thought is the best case scenario, like that's a big win. Good for you. It gets, it's getting, it's more of a habit now, which is a good thing. I think that's a big change. That's great. Great advice to get into a habit, create a habit about being positive and being happy. Yeah. And just realizing like that I have control of that. Like you can, it's a choice. It might not always be a choice what your brain goes to first, but from there you have a choice. Am I going to continue to think about this or am I going to choose to think about a more positive outcome that could happen or something like that? So um, just learning that, again, I might, my subconscious might win sometimes, but in the times that it like it does or I can I can choose to kind of redirect that, like your brain is moldable and you have the choice, like you have the power to do that. That's something I'm not a victim of my own anxiety. I don't have to be anyway. That's a that's very powerful. Those words you just said. That's very deep and very powerful and really hard. Really hard to Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't always like I I don't always do that. It doesn't always win or go that way. But as much as I can, I try to because like I said, the more I do that, the better. Like it's just a snowball effect. The more I do that, the easier it becomes. And the more that becomes the first line of defense instead of those negative thoughts or worries. Mel, I've known you since you were 22 years old and have respected and admired you ever since. And uh, I just love the person you are and the person that you've become through all of this shitty stuff that should never happen to anybody. You know, really bad things happen to good people. And I, I just have always seen you as like an old soul, like a very wise, wise person. And all these things that you're sharing with us are so wise beyond your years. I so appreciate all the time you spent with us today and all the the great, you know, things you shared with our listeners and just how vulnerable you are. I think we laughed and cried so much <laughs> on this podcast. Like my eyes are my eyes are wet, but my cheeks are sore. You know, <laughs> it's um it's been great spending so much time with you. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. It's been really fun. And then just like for me, every time you talk about something, like you said, the the initial quote that you guys always read, like you could, your story becomes part of someone else's or could become part of someone else's survival guide. But also like the more, at least for me, the more you talk about it, like you become your own cheerleader and survivor and like that stuff too. <laughs> so great. I appreciate that opportunity. That's great. That's awesome. And Melissa was kind enough to give us her email address so that we could share it with anybody if has any questions or wanted to reach out. It is Melissa Miller 974 at gmail.com. So M E L I S S A M I L L E R 974 at gmail.com. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Mel. Yeah. Thank you guys. I say I'm not on social media often, but I do. If anyone ever wants to reach out, I'm happy to have those conversations. I'm a, I'm a feelings person, so I like having those conversations. <laughs> awesome. That's great. 
Thank you. Thank you. We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. If you say what you want to say Wait, take two. I I totally that up. <laughs> Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese for We Mixed It, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com. <laughs> take three. I'm with it. We're going to keep that. <laughs>